drink beer. Think beer. You're listening to Broodlands. Beer that is not drunk had missed its vocation. That's from Meyer Breslau. Well, what would be the point of it otherwise? Good point. Welcome to episode 67 of Brewbloods. Welcome back to the beer scene with a gangsta lane, uh, where we drink beer and we think beer. And you might be wondering, why does Dustin sound so weird? Why does he sound so faint? Why does he sound so scratchy? And it's because yeah, that's he... always sound, pretty much. Well, but you sound slightly more... Um, as golden as you usually do. And that's because <laughs> Dustin is uh, podcasting from the Children's Medical Ward of Parkland Hospital in Dallas, downtown Dallas, where uh, one wounded JFK was brought right before he died. And uh, why is he in the medical ward? Well, from what I understand, I talked to your wife last night, and I heard that you guys were practicing your routine for your adult cheerleading competition. And you guys were trying a two-man pyramid, and you were on top, and she slipped and fell. And True. your tibia went straight through your... Both of your tibias just split in half, shot th- straight through your skin, and poked you in the eye. And the, they did. They went, they went right into my skull and through the back of it. But somehow I was still able to podcast. I mean, this, that was only a few hours ago. Right. And then on top of that, you found to uh, you have a pond just full of scum water, which was just... You got all eaten up by Zika mosquitoes. And so sure. that's why you're in a bubble. And you have uh, bones sticking... Tibias sticking out of your eyes right now. But you're luckily, you're still able to taste, and you're still able to uh, podcast. And that's the most important thing. We don't care about your health otherwise... Your taste buds are all that matter. And they're going to treat my slight case of toe fungus just as, just as an add-on. And your gout. You have massive, yes. massive gout in both feet. But they did give me a uh, 1998 Chromebook. Um, they gave me a snowball mic and a pair of headphones So uh, and a Wi-Fi connection that runs at about 56K. But it was enough to go ahead and podcast with you guys. Yeah, and he's running off an AOL CD. Yes. And <laughs> charging by the minute. I only have two hours left. <laughs> well, let's hurry up and get this crap done then. So how much would it take for you to stab your spouse for taking your beer? What what beer would it have to be? Uh, I just don't advocate that kind of violence, sir, so I don't think I could ever uh, just, have any just kind in of theory. beer that would do that. Just in a world where you were, you were constantly committing violence. If I was just insane? Uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe some bourbon barrel temptresses from the years past or... Uh, Maybe some KBS that uh, had aged for a couple of years, or I don't know. It had to be something really special. Maybe, maybe a non-diarrhea version of one of the Goose Island special releases. <laughs> you know. Well, in Pennsylvania, a woman named Tracy Lee Giffen um, was arrested last week in Fayetteville County after stabbing her husband or spouse uh, because he drank her beer. According to police, the 45-year-old Giffen and her husband went to bed that night before uh, Giffen reportedly woke to discover that her husband had swiped one of her beers. Was it Keystone? Uh, they don't say what type of beer it was. That's unfortunate. It says that she stabbed him and cut him on the neck, chest and head, with the scissors. And then she also bit him on the arms and a thumb. I bet you anything it was something about, you know, like Keystone Light level. Yeah, I can't imagine it's uh, anything of quality uh, yes. that you would stab somebody over. I mean, maybe some of the, the uh, nuttier craft beer nerds might stab somebody. But... I'm just yeah. Gonna, I'm just, I, I think they're too. They're generally pacifists that would do a peaceful protest about them taking their beer. They would sit outside and have a sign that just said "I'm angry" or something like that. Yeah. I don't think craft beer guys would stab someone. I feel like this is more of a, a Budweiser type deal. I think also if you're ever named in a county arrest and not a proper city, I think you're more yeah. likely drinking something of the America brand variety or a Keystone. Living Life. in a county is just that's beaten, isn't you, it? Yeah. If you're arrested by a county sh- uh, sheriff, yeah, you're definitely. More prone to be drinking something of a lower quality. Not say everybody out in the county, out in the hinterlands, are of low quality, but there's a higher probability 
that if you're live- arrested by a county sheriff, that you're more likely to be a redneck than not. I think outside of maybe Orange County, I think mostly if yeah. you're just in a county, right. then, yeah, you're, you're probably redneck. I and, think that's a nice blanket statement we can make. And if you have a, uh, if you go by a two-name first name, like Tracy and Lee, and if Lee is your middle name, <laughs> you're more likely to be arrested for something uh, redneckian. Well, we know all about the Lees and the Waynes Lees and that Waynes, kind of stuff. that's right. The, Har- the Harveys. Yes. Uh, any, yeah, the Harveys, yes. <laughs> Lee is often a, a frequent car- uh, crime committer, both in the... Uh, Oh, absolutely. Male and female variety. Wayne's bad too. Wayne's really bad too. Wayne is bad. Yeah, there's there's several. If you go, if you have a three name, if you go by your by three names at a time, you're more likely to commit crimes. I think that's a proven fact. Or you're from Florida, right? Oh, well, definitely. <laughs> Florida's a, anywhere a, in Florida, yeah. County or city in Florida doesn't yeah. matter. You're, you're redneck and you're going to commit a crime. You're that's more just how it is, and it's usually something extremely wheels off. They're going to be uh, you're going to be arrested for. Hey, if you're going to commit a crime, at least make it notable. That's right. At least make it for a good beer, at the very least. Absolutely. Well, this well, week... Make, you know, make, make front page news or make national news, you know? Yeah. Don't just do some spare crime. That's right. Make sure... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Bill O'Reilly <laughs> is noting you <laughs> right. in his uh, talking points memo at the end of the day. Or Nancy Grace. Or Nancy, Grace, Nancy Grace, yeah. Cover that, you. That's definitely a Nancy Grace. one. Now, all, I think she's retiring now, so we can't... When we stab somebody, we can't aspire to be on Nancy Grace anymore. We have to uh, elevate ourselves to uh, a Shep Smith or uh, Tom Brokaw. Well, I guess Brokaw's he's double dead as far as news go. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe a Wolf Blitzer. Maybe Wolf Blitzer. There you go. And maybe if you're in the Situation Room, you're mentioned in the Situation Room, you committed or an Anderson Cooper crime. 360. There you go. Then you know you're doing something. Or a Rachel Maddow, something like that. Right. Well, it feels appropriate. Uh, we are nearing the end of summer here in, uh, well, really all over the world, but at least on the uh, <laughs> northern hemisphere. We're the, important, the, the important half of the world. Um, but uh, here in Texas, we're as we're recording this, we're about to bypass Labor Day, which is when things start to cool down. So it feels appropriate to end the summer with a summery-type beer. Now, summer, uh, I'm sorry, pumpkin spice beers, Oktoberfest beers have already started appearing on the shelf. But ridiculous. I, I, but, this is too early, right? In this in this podcast studio, we draw a line in the sand. No pumpkin beers shall pass our lips until after Labor Day. Absolutely. There's no spice on these lips until after Labor Day. Just like you don't wear white after Labor Day. There's no spice on these lips until after Labor Day. So it's maybe still Hefeweizen time. It's still light IPA time. Gozas, lambics, anything right. but pumpkin spice. None of your Oktoberfests. Right. None of your pumpkin spice beers. None of your fall beers. It's too early, guys. No, we're still in the, we're still drinking summer beers. That's right. what I'm saying. That's it's right. Still, it's still your Hefeweizen time. It's still your light blonde time. Mm-hmm. It's still your light IPA time. That's what it is. It's not time for the pumpkin spice. It's not time for the heavy dark beers yet. Once we've crossed the Labor Day threshold, then we can talk about adding spice to these lips. Damn it. It has to be below 95 degrees before I start getting in the winter mood around here. If it's still above 95... That's that's my threshold. You know, mid-September, you might start getting into the low 90s, and then that's when you can start having the heavier beers. You can start getting your winter warmers in at about 93 when you're really chilly and you got your parka on yes. at 93. Uh, then, yes. you, then you throw on your parka, you throw on a winter warmer in your mouth, you light a it's fire. At least, it's at least hoodie level at that point. Yes. But yeah. For me, the demarcation line is Labor Day. I'll tolerate. I'm not going to reach it out, reach out for it or reach around for it uh, <laughs> until I'm probably, like, I'm not going to seek out those beers until we're somewhere in the 70s. But sure. I will allow it if there's a really good one on tap somewhere. I'll drink it after Labor Day. But I'm I really not... prefer to drink them in October. I understand yes. that's not the technical Oktoberfest time, but I prefer to drink them in October. Well, they shouldn't call it Oktoberfest 
if it doesn't take place in October. How about that? What do you think yeah, about that, about Germany? That? Yeah. What's this late September yeah. stuff? It should be October. Why are you calling it Oktoberfest if it takes place in September? What's the deal? What's the deal with yeah, all the stuff? Well, yeah, exactly. I don't know about any of that stuff. I'm the things guy. You're the stuff guy. That's right. So you should know. That's right. It's stuff. It's not things, but I also don't know about Oktoberfest and why no. it's called that when it takes place in September. It should be called... you're failing Se- then because you're the stuff guy. I know. I failed at many things in my life and just throw this <laughs> on the pile. It should be called Septemberfest. Germans. That's true. Get it together. Yes. But uh, we're not here to talk about Spice Beers or Oktoberfest or Septemberfest or Reinhardt's Not Kibble. yet. Not yet. Give it a couple That's of weeks. a little sneak preview. But f- today we're going to cap it off with a brewery we haven't tackled before, and that's Stone Brewery. Um, hopefully this will help to ease Dustin's uh, shin bone and his eyes pains. And sure. If not, I wish I'd... I could read it at least. Yeah. Well, you can't read. Now you're going to have to learn Braille. My eyesight's barely coming back in one eye. We'll see. Might have something by the end of the show even. So after this, we'll talk about Stone Brewing. The word beer comes from the German and Dutch word beer, but the drink dates back much further than its name. In fact, the earliest recipes for beer date back to around 3000 BC, where Babylonians had up to 20 different types. Around 4000 BC in the Middle East, people were fermenting bread to make a fermented pulp, which they called divine drink. This beer was cloudy and unfiltered, and was drank through a straw to filter out grain holes. Beer was so important in this era because of its nutritional value that people were often paid in the thick, bitter liquid. In the ensuing eras, the importance of beer flourished in cultures around the world. Around 1550 BC, Egyptians would bury beer and malt with the pharaohs to provide sustenance in the afterlife. In the Mediterranean and southern Europe, beer was common among the people until the Roman Empire conquered them and all but replaced it with wine around 100 AD. Fermented drinks could also be found in other cultures around this time, including the Assyrian, Egyptian, Hebrew, Chinese, and Incan cultures, though the ingredients differed depending on what part of the world you lived in. While barley was popular with Babylonians and Egyptians, other parts of the world would use different grains such as millet or corn in Africa, rice in Japan, sorghum in parts of Asia, and rye in Russia. In the Middle Ages, monasteries took up the mantle by creating beer to help their monastic life, as they could drink it during fasting. It wasn't uncommon for monks to drink up to 5 liters a day. These early monastic beers were very bitter and used wild herbs such as bog myrtle, lemon balm, St. John's wort, and elderberries. Hops weren't introduced to beer until sometime around 822 AD, by a Carolingian abbot. It took a while to work out the proper proportions, but eventually hops became the preferred herb because of the preservative properties. By 1200 AD, beer making had firmly established itself in Germany, Austria, and England. Because of the caves in the Alps, Germans preferred the cold temperature for bottom fermented lagers, while over in England they went for top fermented ales for storage and cellars. King Winston Sloss II of Bohemia, in what is now the modern-day Czech Republic, founded the city of Pilsen in 1295 and granted brewing rights to 260 citizens, which helped perfect hopped beer and led to the scaling up of beer operations for export. Up until this point, beer was only brewed at home for quick consumption, since it would spoil quickly. Slowly, the production of beer spread across Europe through the Netherlands and eventually England. German brewers perfected lager brewing around 1420, and the first brewing guild, Brewery Beck, would be established in 1489. Soon afterwards, the Reinheitsgebot was created. The rest is for another time. Now, we're noted on the show for drinking a lot of chocolate-based beers. And we're also noted in our lives for not really... We don't hate chocolate, but we don't seek it out either. So it's strange yeah, that we're known for the show for doing chocolate beers, because it seems like we do them about every other week. Yeah, you demanded to do yet another one, so we went ahead and we're going to tackle yet another one. Well, we had a beer emergency... Because you threw, you threw your shins through your eyes doing your uh, two-man cheer pyramid. And as a result, here we are. We're stuck with, uh, I only had, this beer is the only one I had in multiple forms of. 
at least a duality of, a pair of. So this is what we have to resort to, and it's your fault. It's all your fault. You, You're getting Zeke it up. We in could have done KBS 2014. I mean, you have two of those. But we've done KBS 2014. We don't need to do that <laughs> That's again. True. That's true. We don't need to revisit it. I guess we could have done Prairie Bomb, but we don't need to revisit that either. This we is the only, need to revisit that. This was a summer beer. It's the only one I had a pair of, and I had to break glass just to get to this beer. So here we are, left with yet another chocolate beer because of you. Now, the weird thing is, you call it weird, it's a chocolate-based IPA, which is not that something is I've ever seen. And it's by Stone Brewery. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't remember ever uh, having a chocolate-based beer. I think this one also has coffee uh, in the mix as well. So I never had a coffee IPA or a chocolate IPA um, until last week when we went and tried out uh, Community's Jolt uh, version of their Mosaic IPA, uh, which was an interesting experiment, but probably nothing I would I would get regularly. But I got to tell you, um, I was really disappointed it was not made from Jolt Soda uh, from back yeah, in the 90s. That was, That's that what would, I was expecting. That would add an interesting flavor for sure. I will say the thing about that beer is, because um, it's kind of comparable, was it kind of, and I think I said this at the time, is it tasted like coffee, but for some weird reason, it reminded me of like drinking a uh, poblano pepper beer or something like a, like a chili beer. It's that weird espresso, almost coffee bean esque taste, kind of translated to a pepper esque flavor. Yeah, and for me, I I was disappointed in the fact that the coffee was so overwhelming that um, it didn't it didn't allot for a lot of the mosaic uh, qualities to come out in it, which I like. I love mosaic; it's one of my favorite IPAs. So I was hoping for a little bit more of that, but. Um, yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's interesting for a one-off. Uh, I think they're only serving it in their uh, in their tap room for I guess local Dallas people who want to go try it out. I don't yeah. know how much they have left, but uh, they were only making it available in the tap room. But um, I don't want to run it down too much to say it's not worth going to try. But uh, if it was on the shelves, you have that, and you have the oak to mosaic, and you have the regular mosaic. Uh, I'm going for the oak or the regular uh, ten times out of ten. Yeah, I agree. I think it needs to be called an IPA. I think it needs a little more hoppy flavor. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think I think you're right that the coffee did overwhelm the flavor. So we'll see what the mocha does here for the smoke IPA because I didn't know what to expect from this beer until we had the community jolt last week. So we'll see here in the next segment how it turns out. But uh, Stone itself, um, have you been to the Stone Brewery? Uh, no, I've been to San Diego, but I haven't been to the actual brewery. So I will say the brewery itself is. I went about uh, five years ago now. So I, I know they've done a lot since then. They've opened and closed their farms since then. Um, they had been expanding their grounds back then, but this was 2011 or 12, so it's been at least four years. And um, I went, uh, I will say it is the most impressive brewery from an aesthetics point of view that I've ever been to. Um, it looks from the outside, it just looks like it's an Escondido, uh, which is near San Diego. And right. it's it just looks like a corporate office building from the outside. But when you enter it, uh, these... I can't remember if it's double doors in the front or not, but you walk through this real oh, yeah. like green fern-covered path. It's like you go from the outside to the inner path, and it turns into like a jungle almost. And you walk through these big doors, and in the middle of the foyer, there's a giant stone, probably taller than I am, which I'm about seven foot three, and <laughs> right. uh, it's probably a good you know it's like seven four, seven five, something like that. And it's like an inch taller than you. Yeah, exactly. It's like a big it looks like a big chunk of granite. I don't know exactly what kind of stone it is, but. Uh, and then the tour is awesome. It's still the best tour I've ever taken because it's really informative. And it seems like tour. it seems like a lot of brewery tours these days don't really highlight the education part of, uh, part of things. That's it, true. We really tend to go for ah, here's a brief mention of what goes into beer, and that's one have of the a things. Taco. Yeah, and I, yeah, exactly. I have a taco, a taco truck in every corner. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it's one of the things I wish more breweries would kind of undertake is being more educational, but. 
maybe just consumers aren't as interested in that as I am. Uh, I, was like nine I think bank- a lot of generic uh, consumers, I mean, to sound like a craft beer elitist there, but a lot of just people that just go to say, oh, I want to go to this brewery and try stuff out. I think they just want to try stuff out and see if they like it, and they don't, they don't care it. They don't care how it was made. It's like someone eating a hot dog. They don't want to know the details. They just want to eat it, and if it tastes good, great. Well, I guess. Uh, I guess when you I would call say it probably, I would. I would say it's minimum fifty-fifty of that, if not higher, because I think brewery tours, at least around here, or breweries, have become just kind of like cool hangout spots. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Deep Ellum's a good example. Um, you know, may, maybe not things more like Peticolis or Franconia, but uh, ones that are more like uh, even community to an extent. But you know, community or Deep Ellum or something. More of a maybe the neighborhood people come and just go hang out there, and it's got a tap room, and you just want some beer. Um, and uh, you know, that probably extends to Saturday when they have more events going on. They just want to hang out and listen to you know the music and drink, and they don't care as much about the which grain they're using and all that kind of stuff. Well, and I guess that's the thing is like, I think you should offer a tour that's very informative. If people want to just come hang out, that's fine, but if you're gonna have a if you're gonna have an actual tour. What I've seen in the quote-unquote tours in a lot of these places is just really like a casual mention of, you know, hops, grain, water, yeast, and they don't really... Like Stone, I will say, like, they had little samples that you could, like, take the time to feel the grains. You could smell the grains. You could smell the hops. You could see what a hop looked like. Uh, You could see the malt that they used. They had little sample containers that they would pass around in the group, which was awesome. And then they would take you through their entire production facility and explain each step. Um, you know, again, they would show you every from stem to stern, the whole production from and allow you to ask all these questions and very, very impressive tour. And that's the part is I, I think that um, obviously on this show, we value education and not only learning ourselves, but, you know, spreading the education among other people. And I think that's something that's missing. I think if you're going to have a tour, make it a proper tour. Don't just make it a party scene. I'm fine with people huh. using a local brewery as a sort of, sort of a corner pub. That's fine. But if you're going to have a tour, make it a proper tour. That That's the way I would like to see it done, personally. Yeah, and uh, but a lot of the stuff they do on the weekends is not even necessarily um, sold as a tour. It's just sold as a come in and, you know, for some here's some tokens and have some beers. Oh, yeah. Um, I, we, we may have a tour alongside. But, yeah, I mean, if they actually say they're going to have a tour, I mean, you know, another local we mentioned a lot. Uh, Franconi, for example, is a really good example of one that does go in there and give you all the detailed information right. and, and let you know top to bottom how things work. Um, other ones don't do it quite as much. I think, you know, maybe Lakewood's a, a decent example of maybe a balanced uh, tour where they have the whole come and hang out scene happening and then they stop it down. And, you know, when Bims or whoever's there goes up and talks for 20 minutes about what's going on, right. then they go back to the party scene. Um, you know, I think uh, maybe a balance will be good. Sure. I, I, I saw, um, I haven't been back there in a long time, but nine bands up in Allen when we went with the Dallas Bruce scene, they have a really, it's, it's very similar to the stone tour. Uh, the owner at the time, I don't know if he still does it, but he has a really informative tour. So I personally, I enjoy that stuff, but, uh, maybe it's not for everybody. Sure. But, uh, stone is a fine brewery. Uh, it's awesome. They have an awesome restaurant. I, if you're ever in San Diego, you should stop by it's the grounds are incredible. Uh, they have a really nice deck. You can sit out and eat. Um, they have, uh, an indoor restaurant with garage doors that, you know, flip open so you can enjoy the nice San Diego weather and great food. So, no complaints about Stone overall. How much is do it a you... great place to eat and great place to drink? It is, and they at the time they had uh, beers from across the U.S. It wasn't just Stone beers that you could get there, so that was nice. That was the first time yeah, I ever had Jai Lai. 
Um, I, I think that's one thing that uh, <laughs> I'd say one thing, but we we tend to rag on Jester King a lot. But I will say one thing they definitely do that's cool is they do have that pizza place on property that sells all kinds of beers from all other locations. Yeah, and they don't care. You know, it's it's good to have these breweries that are confident in their own stuff. They're not worried about the competition of the other stuff being there. Right. So what are your feelings on Stone overall, just as as beer goes? Uh, well, Stone was one of the first ones that I was introduced to. Um, you know, they are the they are the fifteenth largest brewery overall, so they're going to be some of the most exposure you're going to have. Um, Arrogant Bastard was probably one of the first um, more intense beers, quote unquote, that I had. Um, and so that and uh, their Smoked Porter were two of the ones that I you know had initially, and I I enjoyed both of them quite a bit. Uh, neither one I get now really much. Uh, I've gotten a sto- I've gotten a smoke porter here or there because I think they put a nice little twist on a regular porter, um, and I've had the ruination here or there too. Um, I think that they uh, they seem to be really solid, and they seem to be one of those breweries that you hope the big craft breweries could be like. Uh, they they are what you they are what you hope they would be. I'll put it that way. Them them and Dogfish, like uh, who we mentioned a few weeks ago, um, they seem to really like the craft beer scene they have grown in the craft beer scene they don't seem like they would ever be uh they would ever sell out any at any point for any any reason or any element um so i think that's cool i think uh stone is just experimental enough to be different uh they do you know they do barrel age stuff they do oak stuff uh but they also keep their main line that they know is popular and they and they roll with it um which i don't have a problem with that you know dogfish will, will throw uh pieces of drywall in there they don't care uh but you know stone will stone pretty much has their their base set and then they they mess around with their base set that's been successful and do one-offs here and there and i I, i've actually really liked it um another good example of them that i really liked was their when they did their vanilla porter that was another good uh, really good beer they've done um but yeah it's i would still now even having they were one of the first ones like i said i was exposed to um, I would still put them, you know, probably top 10 or so of commonly available, really solid, uh, craft beers that you can find. Yeah, I agree. I enjoy their, um, their advocacy for craft beer. I love the fact that they have the invest in, investment group that is supposed to help, uh, craft brewers expand without giving in to your AB and Bev's something like that. And I appreciate the fact that they still collaborate with other brewers, and they still try to push the envelope, like we're hopefully we'll see here with the Mocha IPA that it's something uh, new and it's still executed really well. I have a lot of I have yeah. nothing but fondness for Stone Brewing overall. Yeah, and just uh, just an overview of beers that you may have heard uh, from them. We pulled some of their top beers, like we do for everyone, and um, examples being Arrogant Bastard that I mentioned. Uh, that one gets a ninety nine out of uh, one hundred, uh, ninety eight overall. Uh, their Stone Standard IPA uh, gets a 100 in both style and uh, for the beer itself. The Ruination gets 100 and 99 in style. The Imperial Russian Stout gets 199 in style. Arrogant Double Bastard gets 199 in style. Uh, I mean, you're hearing a trend here. <laughs> Most of their stuff is really solid. It's really good in the style, and it's really good uh, for the beer itself. So uh, I, I can't say that I've ever had anything from stone that i drank and i said man this eh, this just wasn't any good i, I would never t- i would never touch it again i may not get it regularly because i don't get any of their stuff regularly just how it is uh with so many locals here and, and some other just beers that i a couple of go-to beers i have here plus you know having the uh rotation of my uh father putting me in that beer club where i'm getting 12 beers a month you know i just don't go out and and buy that much right now until that's until that's done so 
but yeah, I just never had anything from Stone and said, ah, terrible, flush it, you know, just never happened. I think the only beer we didn't really care for was uh, the one we had in the pool at uh, F13 sent us that was the super spicy beer. I can never remember the name. It's not Ruination. It's not, Dev- maybe it's Devastation. Was that Crime and Punishment? Oh, Crime and Punishment. That's what it was. It was, okay. it was so spicy. It I was, forgot about that one. That one is the exception. That one, that one was un- undrinkable, but that was too, yeah. too, too rough. But uh, other than that, I've always, I've always enjoyed them. And we should note that the Arrogant Bastard itself is now their Arrogant Bastard is now its own company. And there's a company called Arrogant Brewing now. That they're, they're the ones that produce the Arrogant Bastard line, as right. well as the Double Bastard and the Oaked uh, Bastard. And um, I'm not, I, I don't know entirely what the division is between Stone and Arrogant Bastard now, as far as the brewing companies go. Um, I think it might be a stylistic difference. Uh, I can't. I know I read about it months ago, but I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. But there's, I think there's a stylistic difference and maybe a mentality difference between the two companies now. I'm still always going to associate them with Stone. Of I course, mean, that's just how it is. Of course. All right. Well, let's uh, find out all about Stone Brewing Company. Stone Brewing Company is headquartered in Escondido, California, right outside of San Diego, California. Stone opened in St. Marcos in 1996 under the leadership of Greg Koch and Steve Wagner at the location currently home to Port Brewing Company and the Lost Abbey. As of 2015, it was the 10th largest craft brewery in the United States and 15th largest brewery overall based on sales volume. Stone Brewing is rated as a world-class brewery by both Rate Beer and Beer Advocate. It has also won many Great American Beer Festival awards, including gold once, silver three times, and bronze once. In 2013, the company opened a packaging hall just south of the brewery. This facility houses the bottling and keg lines. The brewery in Escondido produced 325,645 U.S. beer barrels in 2015. The site is also home to a restaurant, Stone Brewing World Bistro and Gardens, and a stone company store, which sells stone merchandise, as well as one and two liter growlers that can be filled with Stone's year-round beers and special releases. The brewery's first beer was Stone Pale Ale, still considered to be the marquee beer from Stone. Their year-round beer selection consists of Stone IPA, Stone Ruination Double IPA, Stone To Go IPA, Stone Delicious IPA, and Stone Kelly Belgique IPA. The ABVs of these beers range from 6% up to 8.5%. So the BGCP standards for an American Imperial IPA, because this does come in at 9%, is that aroma should be prominent to intense hop aroma that can be derived from American, English, and or noble varieties. The appearance would be uh, ranging from golden amber to a medium reddish copper. Uh, Malt should be low to medium. Mouthfeel should be smooth, medium light to uh, medium body. No hop-derived astringency. And the overall impression that it should be intensely hoppy, a very strong pale ale, without the big maltiness and or deeper malt flavors of a barley wine. Uh, commercial examples include Russian River Plenty of the Elder, Three Floyds Dreadnought, the Avery Maharaja, Bell's Hop Slam, and the Stone, uh, finally enough, the Ruination IPA, as well as the uh, Hercules Double IPA, which we've tackled before. Yeah, and I'm sure this one won't fall quite in this category since they put the nice little twist of having uh, mocha and coffee on it. But uh, that's just kind of your general Imperial IPA description. Uh, the official description for the Stone Mocha IPA is that it was previously known as the Liberty Station Second Anniversary Mocha IPA, and now it is an official distributed Stone brand. Clearly, the style lines have been crossed. Is it half IPA or half stout? Not quite. It's definitely all IPA, but it's also the best of both styles, making this a love child of a beer simply just a beautiful, pleasure-seeking melt of Imperial IPA in Mocha Indulgence. How did we come up with this inexplicably delicious creation? Well, that doesn't really matter. What matters is that it exists, and it's here for you now, thanks to our deliberate disregard for brewing norms. Some things are not to be known, just enjoyed thoroughly. Yeah, I take a little issue with their deliberate disregard for, bewing, uh, for brewing norms. They 
quite often do brew norms, which is fine. Right. But, uh, I wouldn't say that they're just, like I said, they're not like dogfish wild or anything. Um, but it is kind of funny. We're doing these back-to-back weeks. Uh, last week, we do a hoppy brown ale that's supposed to be an IPA and a brown ale. Never doing an IPA and a chocolate coffee beer. Um, so I guess we just like to do the, the weird the weird mixed beers. I like it. I like to think it's uh, somewhat some sort of kismet that uh, things are coming together. You stab your shins through your eyes, and as a result, we're now doing a hoppy uh, coffee ale. Yeah, it's it's got to be hoppy though. No, we yeah. do love the IPA. I think we've done an IPA for like the last, or at least something hoppy for about the last ten weeks. The stars align for you to to stab your shins through your eyes. Absolutely. Now the ABV comes in as we said before at nine percent, uh, IBU of eighty on this one, so fairly high. Ratings wise, Beer Advocate gives it a ninety one out of a hundred. Rate Beer gives it ninety eight overall, ninety four in style. And Untapped comes in at a four point zero one out of five with forty six thousand unique reviews. Which, as we said before, anything over 3.5 on untapped, you're starting to get pretty solid. If you're over a 4, you're really solid. Um, which, based on all of Stone's history and all of their other beers, I'm not really surprised that this one's rated this high. Because most everything they do is rated at least a 90+. plus. And we should reiterate that last week with the Hoppy Brown Ale, we were very disappointed. Uh, with the Community Jolt, which was a coffee ale, we were uh, nonplussed, I would say. Uh, right. Wanted some more of the hop character. So we've got some things to stand on to look back on so what are you expecting for this beer um i'm expecting this beer to have just a bit of pine but i expect it to have a lot more uh chalk uh, chocolatey notes and some uh some coffee notes for sure uh maybe not quite as overpowering i'm hoping it'll have a nice balance with the three instead of being just dominant by one which has been our problem in the last two that we had i mean that was the same the jolt the coffee dominated the uh the Sweetwater. um it was just dominated by kind of a plain dark chocolate taste um you know so it'd be nice if we get a little more subtle detail of the two styles and perhaps the two different beers that are mixed in together to make this one beer will both be better than uh you know we had in the Sweetwater case yeah just based on scores alone i'm expecting something really good out of this brewery and just based on history of my personal experience i'm expecting something really great i'm hoping for finally a success in this weird uh hop genre that we've seen in some of the, the previous experiments so aroma Aroma. It's interesting. It's kind of like a... It's definitely a coffee flavor. It almost lends itself to a chili pepper smell again. But on your some of your sharper coffees anyways, if you just smell some beans or smell some ground beans, sometimes it kind of wafts into that chili powder type smell. And now, what did you pour this one into, Mark? An IPA glass. Ripped okay. From, yeah, I had to powder. go with the snifter because I don't have... They don't have that at Children's Medical Center. They don't have the yeah, IPA glass. But they do have snifters, which is nice. They do. For the children. Yeah, that's nice. You know, the kids need their beer, too. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're watered-down pale ales. Uh, but yeah, it does, to me, it does smell kind of chili-esque, but I think it's because it's a sharper acidity uh, on the nose there. And I think that's what's probably uh, pulling my nose towards Chili Town. Yeah, I, I definitely get some citrus, uh, piney hop aroma. Um, so... I, that's kind of what I would expect from an Imperial uh, slash double IPA. Uh, this is kind of under both categories. So um, I, I would expect it to be a little pinier. Uh, I know what you mean. I know what you mean with the chili-esque. I, I don't know if I would describe it quite that way, but uh, there is something in addition to the uh, regular piney hops. And I, I, I consider it a little more citrus than than I do spicy. But, yeah, there's definitely something else there. Well, I, don't, I do notice as I flex my monstrous nostrils hair-filled nostrils that uh it definitely if you flare the nostrils and take a wa- take a waft just suck it in like a turbine take a waft take a waft soak it in like a turbine you do definitely i do def- i definitely start to notice the more fruity bottom there who doesn't oh, yeah. like a good fruity bottom 
It's got a bubble fruit bottom on it. I don't really notice pine as much, but I do notice the fruit bottom there. Uh, I, I sense the presence of the evil fruit of the looms coming our way, perhaps. <laughs> we might have to get out our uh, stomping boots and go to town. It might be something that we did stomp. We don't know. We don't know what happens to all those corpses. But up on top, though, it's definitely, a, for me, a chili nose. I think it's more probably the acidity of the, of the smell, but it definitely lends itself to somewhere in that dividing line for me between coffee and espresso flavor or, uh, notes and chili pepper. So appearance-wise, it's definitely it's like a so, golden orange, um, somewhat mango-like in appearance. It's actually darker than a mango. Uh, yeah, I can actually see all the way through it because I do have light in this room, unlike when I normally podcast with you. <laughs> it's like a reddish-orange almost. It's it's darker yeah, than like it a... Yeah, it kind of reminds me to uh, getting local on your ass again. Uh, it kind of has almost a, a velvet hammer look to it. I mean, it's kind of that it's kind of that reddish, uh, kind of clearish uh, or clear look. Um, but it's definitely light. It's more orange. Much... It's more orange than the velvet hammer is. It's it's darker than an orange it's peel. It's a little more orange, yeah. It's darker than an orange peel, but but brighter than a red ale should be. And it's sure. bright, it's it's almost to that amber category, um, without quite being an amber. And uh, I don't know how yours poured in the official IPA glass, but in the snifter, the uh, the head went down to basically nothing. In the IPA glass, it's still there. I've got probably uh, I've got a good head on this one. It's probably a centimeter and a ton of lacing on this glass. Okay. Yeah, this has just like the thin outside, the thin white outside part, and that's that's okay. it. The, the middle part is totally gone. Uh, the lacing, the lacing's decent, uh, but it's not it's not prominent. Now for flavor. Take me to Flavor Town. What was that accent? It was my Flavor Town song accent? Are Definitely you definitely fa- get some double IPA notes in there? Are you a fan of mocha coffee? Uh it's yeah, it's not bad. Sure. I never have been. I'm not, you know, as we said, we're not chocolate fans, but we, yet we seem to always review chocolate-based beers. <laughs> so It's not my favorite. It's it's definitely not my favorite, but I don't I don't I don't hate it for sure. Yeah, I would never seek it out. Any type of mocha-based drink. It's usually too sweet for me. I don't enjoy the cloyingly sweet chocolates. Uh, I tend to like the slightly bitter chocolates. And to, for me, most mocha-based coffees are way too sweet and way too just, uh, I don't know, diabetes-inducing for my flavor palette. But I will say that um, flavor-wise, mocha here is very, very present. I could not identify um, this chocolate as anything but mocha. Oh, yeah. Um, two things on it for me. One, um, the mocha is definitely there. The double IPA taste is definitely there. And they seem to both be pretty good little beers just from the initial the initial taste again if you enjoy mocha beer um i think they are hitting that and the double ipa is definitely definitely prominent there i think it's nice it's nice to actually taste both of the beers that are supposed to be in there i think what for me the way this this kind of plays out the rainbow of taste in my mouth goes from a sharp hit of acidity up front which is the hop hit then it blossoms into a a brown cloud of mocha in my mouth (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like a, it, like the, the mocha definitely explodes as a brown cloud in my mouth and then it recedes into a double uh, or an imperial IPA taste in the back of my throat and just and it's just like the, the chocolate flavors tend to they just waft the brown cloud is wafting through my mouth and then but then the, the hop bite is on the back of my tongue yeah the chocolate is definitely somewhere mid-tongue and mid-sip and so I would agree with you on that um, that the the double IPA stays present the pininess stays present uh, the chocolate 
kind of like makes a little appearance and then he's like, well, see you later. Uh, just want to make sure you guys knew I was there. But the thing about it is, so you're saying he's does, like, you're saying he's like a popcorn fart, a flavor. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. It's like and, a little, little explosion. And see, for me, I say it's a, it's like a, it's like a Goodyear blimp of fart flavor in my mouth of chocolate. For me, it's like a little pop. And then it goes, I mean, it's there. It's noticeable. It's not like, I don't know if popcorn fart would be nice. Maybe, maybe like a vat of popcorn farts <laughs> because it's definitely enough to notice. <laughs> But it's not overwhelming. It, it kind of goes fast too. Um, it, do, so, it does go fast, but it's a it's yeah. for me. It's a brown rainbow for sure. Okay. Well, uh, another thing I've noticed about this that a lot of other beers seem to suffer from is that you can have several sips of this, and that whole array stays there. Like one of them's not dying out. It's not the chocolate isn't going away. The double IPA isn't going away, and the initial uh, pininess isn't going away. I feel like I'm getting the same kind of taste each time I taste it. I agree. Consistency is very high here, which we always don't get is that uh, a lot of times what you'll see is um, one flavor will start to dominate on subsequent sips. And we are seeing that to me, it's staying the same every time I've had about five or six sips here and it stayed the same yeah. each and every time is that you get the brown fart uh, rainbow through your mouth. <laughs> That's we, so we say fart, but it's a it's a chocolate rainbow throughout your mouth. It's yeah, uh, it's it, start, it starts out kind of chocolate rain in your mouth. <laughs> chocolate rain. <laughs> Tay Zonde is basically uh, doing some doing a performance in your mouth, mm-hmm. and it starts out like kind of green brown, goes full brown. Tay Zonde pops his head up, sings he's like chocolate he's rain along the double IPA river, and then he just hits. He really hits the notes right in the middle, right? And, and he then goes, he just recedes and takes off at the end, That's right? Then it becomes IPA. Elfin Tay Zonde, chocolate rain, as he recedes exactly. back into green brown territory. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think yeah, I think Tezande is definitely an adequate descriptor of this beer. Yeah, absolutely. So, so mouthfeel sure. wise, we should note that it is definitely falls in the the category of medium. It's not a heavy beer. It's not light. It's somewhere in between. Yeah, it's not. <clears throat> it's definitely not light. Um, the other thing, I, I don't know that it's chocolatey enough, and I'm not saying it's even supposed to be, but I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's chocolatey enough if someone doesn't like a decent IPA that they would like this if they just want a chocolate beer. Definitely wouldn't go this route for that. I think you'd probably be safer going with a chocolate porter or chocolate stout for those type of, of folks. Um, so you definitely have to like both of these because they're both distinctively there. Uh, yeah, agreed. It's I still would not, if for any new uh, beer seeker, I would never introduce them to an IPA first because it's just, it's usually right. ruinous to the palate. Until you're yeah, I know. Up. I just don't want somebody to think, well, this will be this will be easier because it's you know mocha, and then you know they'll taste the chocolate and it won't be as big of a deal. There's still plenty of IPA taste there that if you don't like it, you would not you would not like this. But if if someone were midstream in their craft beer development, I might say, and they want to try IPA, I might try that. I might uh, dip their toes into this uh, Tezande beer here because they, I think it's smooth enough to where sure. if they're used to a sweeter beer, I think this is far enough into the sweet territory without being so astringent as some hot beers are. It's not a palate wrecker. I think it's a decent intro to IPAs. Yeah, it's not, it's definitely not a really, it's not a super harsh double IPA or Imperial IPA, but it's Imperial and double IPA enough to you let you not forget that there is an IPA base to this beer. Now, uh, one last note, we didn't really talk about the bottle here and uh, stone in the last year has gone to a new labeling system not all the beers yet are doing this, but I believe this is what they call the PSL. Now, this is not the same thing as DSL or PLL, um, but it's uh, this is called PSL, which is pressure-sensitive label. 
it's a new type of label, some sort of uh, printing system that uses a lot less carbon, but ends up making the labels a lot brighter and then more stand out. And I think this bottle definitely stands out on the shelf. I remember that because it's very, very bright. Otherwise, yeah, you it's... Got that- Got that bright, what, yellow, yellow, yellow green. green, yellow, I don't know, somewhere in that mix. And uh, it definitely it definitely pops. And they have, you know, you know it's stone whenever you see the, uh, the same logo that you see on every every single stone bottle. Yeah, it's definitely their standard. Otherwise, it's their standard uh, label. But right. uh, kudos to them for finding new ways to stand out. And it's definitely lighter uh, than a lot of their labels, for sure. And kudos yeah, for finding more sustainable practices. So, ratings. Ratings. You want to go, Mark? Sure. Uh, the name for this beer, we already mentioned. It's Tezande. It's Chocolate Rain. Um, it's not... Uh, I was not sure what to expect, given our past history with... Recent history with uh, IPAs and supposed uh, India-style beers that uh, were kind of disappointing in some ways. And I came out pleasantly surprised. And on one front, I'm pleasantly surprised that the experiment finally worked. Frankenstein finally rose up from the bed, or, or sorry, Frankenstein's monster finally rose up from the bed uh, under a storm cloud of lightning, uh, unlike the other ones, which were just failed experiments that forever remain in, uh, you know, infant jars of uh, green goo. It's Frankenstein. Gene Wilder's Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein. That's right. Frankenstein. Frankenstein's monster. Um, so I'm pleasantly surprised here because new territory, right? A new successful territory. And it's something that uh, I think this is an example of if you're going to pursue something like this, uh, an alternative IPA like this, this is a good example from which to base your uh, experiments. It's something that, for me, uh, this is what your mocha chocolate-esque IPA experiment should be based on. Um, typically, your chocolate-based beers tend to be porters and stouts, and I understand uh, people like chocolate, uh, and they will probably want to try to branch out into something like this. And frankly, IPAs being so popular, they want to try to diversify them a little bit more to continue to prop up that genre of beer. Um, so I think this is a highly successful experiment. Um, I give compared to recent failures. I don't think I have any choice to give this particular beer, the Tezande, the tiny Tezande five out of five. Wow. Man. Again, Uh, compared to recent experiments, I, that's what my whole score is based on. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, it's uh, as far as the experimentation goes and other things that we've dealt with in that realm, uh, I would say that this is one of the most, if not the most successful. It tastes like they have a pretty good little mocha uh, beer along with a an Imperial IPA, uh, and they mix them together. You can actually taste them. You can taste each of them. The mocha comes and goes like we talked about. It just gives you a little sprinkle, uh, maybe a little more than a sprinkle, maybe a Maybe a quick downpour and takes off one of those little quick, really quick downpours. Uh, then it's dry and back to the double IPA uh, flavoring on the back end of the tongue. Uh, Stone in general, like we talked about, I'm not not necessarily surprised that they would be the ones that would get this thing right <laughs> out of all these other ones that have tried. Uh, they are a they are a master in the in the industry and have been around a while and have had chances to perfect things like this. And uh, I would say that they definitely. If you're looking for a mix of mocha and your mix and a mix of a double IPA, uh, they they definitely succeeded here. It's not my personal favorite uh, flavor mixture, like we talked about mocha. Uh, Mark likes even less than I do, but I don't like mocha that much either. Uh, it's fine. It's just not something that I go for. But the point of rating something like this isn't necessarily personal preference. It's you know, did they hit it? Does it taste like what you'd expect mocha to? Does it taste like a mocha IPA? 
And does it cover all of those elements? And I would say, uh, yeah, it'd be hard to argue that they don't. So based on that information, and uh, I'm going to rate it in style more than an overall beer that I would prefer. And in style, I would say uh, this gets a 4.75 out of 5. Giving us a final score of... Four point eight seven five. Well, I don't think it's any surprise that uh, Stone did a good job on that beer. Yeah, that's true. I would always expect good something part. good from those guys. Well, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for all your support. Uh, we do have another show. If you've never listened to it. It's called The Break Room. It comes out uh, twice a month. You also find- on the Breakout Media Network. Also true. You can find all the links to that show at breakroom.tv. Uh, thanks to Stefan this week for helping with education. Do us a favor, leave us a review on iTunes. Helps us get new, or helps other people to find us. We'd appreciate it. Five stars would be appreciated. Uh, check us out on social networks Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We are, bra- uh, sorry, not Break Room. We are uh, Brewbloods and all those. If you have any feedback oh, yeah. on the show, you can email us, brewbloodshow at gmail.com. You can call us 469 573 beer. That's 469 573 2337. And we're on Reddit, reddit.com slash r slash Are we on Instagram? We are on Instagram. I didn't mention that. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Just curious. <laughs> we'll catch you guys next week for episode 68 of Broodbloods. For Dustin, I'm Mark. For Mark, I'm Dustin. Probst. Probst. Probst.